Is that good news? Hallelujah. 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 Yeah, it's relative. I mean, it's on, the, on the sort of spectrum of good news, it's relatively up there. <laughs> Death is defeated. I am looking forward to some of that stuff. Mainly, I'm looking forward to getting a resurrection body. I mean, as I'm like approach 40, I am feeling, I'm beginning to feel my age. Like yesterday, I went to a cricket trial. Well, I had to go all the way to Worcester, beautiful place, but miles to go and just take part, to basically have a cricket net, bowl some balls and hit some balls, do some fielding, uh, to see if I'm good enough to make it into the Church of England cricket team. Do you know there's a Church of England cricket team? It's the Archbishop of Canterbury's 11. It's very grand. We've got a crest and everything. Anyway, I had to go to Worcester to compete in that. And then it's like, (laughs) you have to run in and bowl the first ball. I knew running in to bowl the first ball, this is not going to be a good day. I could barely run. My back was spasming. I was in pain. I can barely move today. I mean, anyone else feel me? Like, it's like, we're looking forward to the new creation. Hallelujah. A resurrection. That's going to be what you and I get. We're going to get resurrection body. It's hard to imagine what we're going to experience. We're going to have health. Everything's going to work. Nothing's going to creak or crack in the gym. We're going to enjoy fullness of relationship. We're going to have complete overflowing joy. We're going to radiate with the very glory of God as we, as we behold him face to face and pinch ourselves that we're here. Pinch ourselves literally for, for eternity. How can this be? How can this be? Very boring thing to keep saying for a couple of hundred years. But that's what it will feel like. Guys, this is where we're headed. Glory, heaven, new creation, resurrection bodies. This is our hope. And it all comes about. We receive it all through faith. Through faith in who Jesus is. And you see, the problem is we so often, we get consumed by the here and now. We live in a world that doesn't have that faith, that doesn't look to eternity, so says, eat, drink, be merry now. Get what you can now because soon it's going to be gone. And then you'll be worm food. There's nothing beyond the grave. So everyone's running around frantically trying to fill themselves here and now, get as much as they can. And they're demanding that they have Every blessing in the here and now. They want an easy life now. They want no pain now. They want no suffering now. Certainly want to put off death as long as they can. And that culture even infects the church, doesn't it? We can sometimes become demanding in the church. You hear certain sections of the church, hopefully not from this pulpit, that would hold out a gospel that would appear to offer perfect health. Wealth. Prosperity, total blessings, no challenges, no challenges, no difficulties. It's a false gospel. If you go, go by that, assuming that God's love—if God loves you—it means there'll be no difficulties for you. Then He obviously didn't love Paul the apostle very much. He's often in shipwrecks, shipwrecks, flogged, stoned, spat on, rejected, cold, naked. I'm not quite sure how he got naked. It's in there in the Bible. But anyway. It's not dwell there. Don't determine God's love for you by what you're going through. That's what the world goes after. That's what so often the church goes after. And we get consumed with the here and now. I've got a rope here. It's one of Tim's climbing ropes. 
literally, this has probably saved Tim's life. Has it saved your life, Tim? He, he dares say. <laughs> Don't dare too much. Um, Georgia, do you want to come and just grab the other end? Imagine that sort of, I've, I've nicked this illustration from Francis Chan. I forgot to quote him this morning. So it's not mine. Francis Chan, amazing preacher, um, but illustration. Hold tight just now. Lie down. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's your life on this earth. 70 years, that red tape. Can you see it? The problem is that's all we know, that's all we experience. So we make everything about those 70 years. We want, want it all to count now. We want to experience and have it all now. And yet we forget that our lives, are just, this is just a breath. The Bible calls our life a breath. Like the grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. And it says, don't live your life just in view of those 70 years here and now. Live your life in view of eternity. Now, Georgia, now. Your life is part of a much bigger story that goes on and on and on. Those chains undo. Just keep going, Georgia. Head, your, head off to Waitrose. Thank you. Perfect. 70 years. Keep going down there. 700 years. 7,000 years. 7 million in Christ, we'll still be breathing, we'll still be praising, we'll still be enjoying him. We are made for eternity. But the world goes after it now, and when the world doesn't get what it likes, and when, if we're not careful, when we don't get what we like in the church, we're tempted to say, well, get lost, God. What good are you anyway? You're not making my life any better, seemingly. And we can be tempted to throw him out. Say, I don't want you. But in this story, we see Jesus, love itself. He lets his friend Lazarus die. He lets a family that he loves grieve. And he does it to bring them to faith. Because he's, he knows it's more loving to do that. Look at verse 21. Lord... Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't we hear the voice of the world in that sentence? Don't we hear the voice of ourselves so often? Our expectations, Lord, you can fix this. Please come and make it easier. Please come and take it away. And perhaps we don't understand the, the Lord's deeper purposes in what we're going through. Mary comes to him and says exactly the same line. Just spotted that this evening, reading it again. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He has all power. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, Martha demonstrates that she does have faith, but at the moment she has faith in a doctrine. She has faith in what she's been taught. Her current mindset, her understanding is that at the end of all time, there will be the resurrection of everyone. But does she have faith in Jesus? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha back then says, I am the resurrection, says, do you believe this? He asks us today. He is saying today, 
I, and I alone, am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? St. Dinah's Church, Tim, Joe, Matt, Louisa. You. Do we believe this? Do we truly trust in Jesus alone? Or is it Jesus plus something? Perhaps how we live our lives or the good deeds we do. Do we trust and look to Jesus' opinion only of us, what he says about us? Or do we look to have others' opinions being positive? Hedging our bets with Jesus. How do you picture yourself standing before God at the end of time when it's just you and him at the judgment? What do you plan to say to him? Let me tell you, if, it's, if your answer is pleading anything but Jesus, 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 put that right tonight. Jesus is saying here that it is him and him alone that leads to life, that leads to resurrection, that takes us through the final frontier of death itself. I am the resurrection, Jesus says. Do you believe this? The good news for us tonight is that we can. That's what this story is in the Bible for. John's whole gospel was, was written, he says at the beginning in chapter 1, written to reveal the glory of God to us. Chapter 20, it says, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and through believing have life in his name. It's the purpose of this whole book, this, this miracle of raising Lazarus to new life, this picture of what he will one day do at the end of time is a picture for us to give us faith, to say, I'm with Jesus, and I'm with Jesus alone. And it's not just him raising Lazarus, it's him coming back from the dead himself. We need to remind ourselves at the beginning of every day, just wake up. First thought should be, Jesus Christ is alive today, and I know him, and he loves me. He's going to take care of me, whatever that means. I'm going to trust in him. He overcame the grave. You know, history records, the one thing historians agree on, um, is that there was an empty tomb. There's a, um, a record of a conversation between a Jew and a Christian in the second century after Jesus, um, where they're discussing the claim of the resurrection, and the Jew is saying, well, we, we Jews believe that the body was stolen. In other words, they at least agree that there was no body. The tomb was empty. So the question for us, the question for the world to answer is, where was the body? The world's been spending 2,000 years trying to come up with answers. They tend to say, well, it was probably stolen. Like the Jews. They say, well, maybe robbers stole it. Well, the only thing valuable in that tomb with Jesus were the grave clothes. Because, as you know, they were wrapped with all the expensive herbs and spices, which then they would sell on. They would have a value. And yet the tomb wasn't empty. We read that the grave clothes were still there. In other words, the spices were still there. And the robbers had merely made off with a rotting carcass. Just saying like, oh, Jeff, are you sure this is right? Are we going to get anything for this body? It wasn't the robbers. Rubbish robbers, if it was. Others say it was the authorities. Well, the authorities wanted Jesus literally dead and buried, forgotten. They thought 
that was the case. If they'd stolen the body, then when people started saying he's risen, and there was a, a stirring in the whole city, they would have just brought the body down and slapped him down in the marketplace, saying, here he is, get on with your lives. If they hadn't, they would have said, well, quick, buy him off the rubbers and let's put him down. They didn't because they didn't have the body. Others say, maybe the disciples stole the body. That makes the most sense on the surface. But then remember that the disciples did a runner when Jesus got arrested. They were terrified. They were running for their lives. They thought it was over. They thought the dream was gone. They saw him dead on a cross. And then what's more, if they did nick the body, 10, of, 10 out of the 11 disciples left because Judas, remember, hung himself. 10 of those 11 went to horrible deaths for that faith. Why would they die gruesome deaths if they knew the body of Jesus was buried in Peter's garden? It wasn't the disciples. Others, genii, suggest that Jesus wasn't really dead. That even though he'd been flogged, which often killed a man, and crucified, which the Romans were pretty effective at, uh, having crucified and killed thousands, somehow Jesus played dead, <laughs> got buried, and revived in the cool of the tomb. They love that expression, the cool of the tomb, very reviving, the cool of the tomb. And then he awoke, and he rolled the ton and a half stone. Anyone do squats in here? You squat 100 kg, that's phenomenal, isn't it? Try squatting 1,000 or 1,500 which is a ton and a half. Jesus, flogged, crucified, somehow managed to do that by himself and then evade the guard of Roman soldiers who were outside guarding the tomb. I tell you, I, I heard this talk, when I first heard this, this evidence presented when I was 18 years of, of age, I became a Christian on the back of this because the penny dropped. It made sense. The only explanation, reasonable explanation, is that Jesus really is alive. It's not just that, that the other arguments don't work. It's that people claim to experience him, encounter him. He met with the disciples. He appeared to 500 people at the same time. People said, we've seen him. Yep, we've seen him. We've seen him too. Not only that, the church was born. The church, which grew from nothing 2,000 years ago to two and a half billion people or whatever it is today, all around the world. This building here, being here in central London, bears witness to Jesus Christ still being alive. And then there's you and me. There's our own experience, isn't there? Being able to say, I believe he's alive because I know him. I experience his love. I hear his voice through the words of scripture. The only reasonable explanation is that Jesus Christ is still alive. Death really has been defeated. Hope is real. Does it mean there's no pain in the here and now? Does it mean death doesn't hurt even in the Christian community? Absolutely not. Mary came to Jesus weeping. Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus. I believe, and people disagree, they suggest lots of different things, but I believe part of that weeping was just weeping at the grief of, of what we've lost. We were never destined to die. It was never God's plan. And he grieves. It wounds his heart to see his children going astray. 
and choosing death over life. Even whilst there's this hope, this joy, there is pain, there are tears. Death is real. And death is a thief. I remember preaching from this passage at a funeral. It was the hardest preach I think I've ever had to give. It was at the funeral of some friends of mine from university's firstborn daughter, their only daughter at the time, Isla, who at 18 months of age had been diagnosed with a very rare form of brain tumor. She lost her fight just a few months later. And they came to me. They didn't really have any faith. But they came to me and they asked, would you speak at the funeral? And I was speaking from this passage, trying to offer words of hope. The only words that can give hope, a message of resurrection in the world we live in. Trying to speak words of hope whilst a two-foot coffin is just to my left on a small table. Death is real. Pain is real. But death has been transformed forever by the resurrection, by Easter, by this picture that Jesus gives of his raising Lazarus, a picture that shows us that there can be joy even amidst tears. Jesus goes to the tomb and he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I was with a friend last night who was reflecting on that passage. He's given it a bit of thought. And he was saying, it's interesting, back then, if you were buried in a tomb, you would be joining others. There would be other bodies in that tomb. They shared sort of family graves, that sort of thing. So he made an interesting point that Jesus had to specify Lazarus come out. Because if he didn't call out Lazarus's name, then everyone would have come out. And he'd be like, oh, gosh, Gary, sorry, not your time, buddy. You go back. Yeah, a couple thousand years or more. Who knows? Um, Lazarus, come out. It's a picture of our destiny, of the end of the world, when Jesus will speak those words to the whole of creation and call forth every human being who's ever lived. This is God showing us how he's going to do it, that it is the power of his word and his word alone. Mark, can you get those verses up, those... um, that passage. Earlier in John's gospel, he says these amazing words, which when I first got shown this, it blew me away. I'm hoping it might have a similar effect to you. Jesus' teaching in John 5 says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. That is a message for all the living. That is our message to the world today. We go and proclaim the gospel and Jesus through us speaks his word to people who don't yet have faith and he brings them from death into life. He has crossed over from death to life. This is how faith works. It works through God's word, through Jesus' word that they hear. That's a message for the living. That's a message for Mary and Martha on this day. However, he goes on, I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That's a word for Lazarus. That's a word about the end of time, about how it will be. People 
come to faith now, whilst alive, and enter the kingdom. And if they fall asleep, if they die in the meantime, then at the end of time, they will hear God's voice and they will rise again. Isn't that amazing? That's the picture God is giving us. Jesus is God, as I just come into land. Jesus is God. What other conclusion is there? What does it mean for us? Well, firstly, just quite simply, the first challenge for us. Have we believed and have we trusted in Jesus Christ alone? If you haven't tonight, then my friend, what an exciting opportunity. You live in the age of resurrection. The season of Easter, new life can be yours. Hope beyond the grave. Have you put your trust in Jesus? He is the resurrection and the life. If not, do it tonight. I'd be happy. We'd be happy. Tim, Joe, myself, anyone, happy to pray with you to help you make that step. Trust in Jesus. Or secondly, what are you doing about this good news? Who are you telling? Because the amazing thing is that God calls us to be his ambassadors. He calls us to be his co-workers. To go out and share this good news. To go out and preach this gospel. And as we go, he uses our words to be his words. And our words are those that call the dead, spiritually dead, even though they're physically alive, to new life. Spiritual life. That's how it works, folks. What an amazing honor. And privilege, what are you doing to tell friends? Whom are you inviting to Alpha, to church, giving them the chance to hear Jesus' voice? One final thought. Lazarus is one of the few people in history. Actually, there's probably been a huge number in history. But one of the few at this point that we know properly about who had the dubious privilege of getting to die twice. Not sure if I'd want that uh, um, honor. <laughs> I don't know about you. But he got the privilege of getting to die twice. He isn't alive today. He isn't walking the streets of Jerusalem or taking a stroll by the Sea of Galilee. He's dead in another tomb somewhere. Jesus rose him. Maybe he lived for 10 years. Maybe he lived for 30. But he did die again. But let me ask you this. What do you think the vibe or the atmosphere was like at his second funeral? Having experienced what he did after his first. Don't you think there'd be more hope? Don't you think there'd be more peace? Don't you think there'd be more joy? Knowing what was to come. And friends, with Jesus and with Jesus alone, that is our inheritance. That is our expectation. That is what each one of us can look forward to when either Jesus comes again in the here and now or in a hundred years' time when all of us have come and gone. That we too will hear his voice calling out to us saying, Joe, Jesse, Joel, Mark. Come out. Rise to new life. Shall we stand? Yeah, if the band will come.
I just want to lead us in a, in a quick prayer, just before we go back into worship. Um, and it's really just a prayer of just giving our hearts afresh, holy, 100% to Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Heaven. He is the resurrection and the life. He has all authority. If you want to entrust yourself to his care and his protection, both now and in death and beyond, then just echo this prayer in your heart.